Hello, everyone, and welcome to Collision Repair Magazine's Industry Insider Radio, a podcast for shops, shop owners, techs in every level of the collision repair industry. I'm your host, James Kerr. A collision repair shop is a busy place. Cycle time is everything. So where do you fit in training? New technologies like ADAS and EVs have crept up to the point where it's unavoidable. There are solutions to make it work, even in your busy shop schedule. To navigate these hurdles with me, I have two guests who are well poised to figure out how training can work for your shop. It's learning by doing, the best way to learn new technology to enhance shop safety and billable hours on today's Industry Insider Radio. Today's episode is brought to you by Environmental Motorworks and Autoprof, leading providers of automotive, heavy truck, and coach vehicle training, including hands-on EV and ADAS training. For more information, please visit our websites at www.envmw.com or www.theautoprof.com. Hello and welcome to my guests today. First, I have Mike Bailey, owner and lead instructor and curriculum developer at the Autoprof. Uh, hello, Mike. Thank you for joining me today. Good morning, James. How are you today? And I have David Myers, CEO of Environmental Motorworks. David, could you please introduce your company and its relationship and how Autoprof works in relation to Environmental Motorworks? And we can all get on the same page with who we're talking to today. Perfect. Thanks, James, and and would love to. Um, so I've known Mike for a number of years, and I'll let Mike introduce himself. But the Autoprof has existed for uh, a great number of years, and and like I said, I'll let Mike introduce that. Um, Environmental Motorworks was really a brainchild of of Mike, myself, and another partner uh, that wanted to bring this kind of an administrative piece to the uh, to the training wing that that Mike had already developed. And so we provide a service from training, EV, ADAS, as well as other diagnostics and advanced training in a number of forms, as well as working with partners in the industry to provide services, tools, and other aspects of, you know, the critical pieces to new technology and, and hence the, the purpose of Environmental Motorworks. We saw it as an opportunity to enhance being able to bring some of these new technologies to the forefront. So those are the relationships. So Mike is one of our partners in, in Environmental Motorworks and um, uh, it really the, the brainchild behind a lot of the activities and the curriculum, as well as being uh, the owner and, and known well as the, uh, the auto prof. So that's the relationship that we have. So it sounds like you're the right people to be talking about training today when we talk about training. It's a loaded issue. It's an issue that's been on the forefront of collision repair shops for a long while. And let's see if we can uh, tackle it thoroughly. So training up your skills has become, over the years, treated as something like an afterthought in collision repair shops. But it seems like in the last decade or so, that's changed. It's become a major point of stress for shops. Coily, as much as I can, I know I'm setting you up for a, a, a soft pitch here, but what has changed in training and what's necessary in training in collision repair shops in the last 10, 15 years? It's right there staring us in our face. Technology has become impossible to ignore. My background is automotive and heavy truck. 
uh, repair and diagnostics, et cetera. But I deal with body shops quite often, uh, collision industry, as well as uh, providing support for hard to diagnose vehicles. One of the things I find happens is, and what's changed is a lot of the components now are what I call outside of the cage. Uh, it's not just light bulbs and wiring that, that's outside of the, the frame or the unibody of the vehicle. Uh, we've got radar, we've got sonar, we've got cameras that are all exposed to damage from uh, uh, fr- from collision, including the wiring that uh, that goes along with these, you know, power ground and, and communication networks. Another thing is this, our skilled workforce is aging. I feel that. Uh, and most older technicians naturally want to shy away from learning brand new technology. They One of two things, they either don't think they can understand it or the mindset, I'm almost done. I, I don't need to keep up. Do you feel like technicians in Canada's collision repair shops are well-trained and ready for the future of ADAS and EVs and everything else that's coming? Oh, that's G- given what you just said about an aging workforce. <laughs> yeah, I got my hand up for that one. Um, there's a few different types of, of collision technicians. And, and as I said, I've, I've met, met quite a few. Um, I'll, I'll categorize them here. Uh, what's rare is the the enthusiastic and well-trained technician that is 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 current, uh, is interested in training and interested in tech, et, et cetera. Another thing that's rare is somebody not so schooled, but uh, they're enthusiastic and they want to learn and they are learning. What I see happen more often than not, though, uh, what I call a common group is they're enthusiastic to learn, but they need new skills and training that they haven't been provided the opportunity to to actually update themselves. Uh, another thing that's common is the unenthusiastic and they just want to ignore it. They, they don't want anything to do with it. Like I mentioned before, they may decide that I'm beyond training. I just want to finish out my career. Most collision techs are capable and should and need to step up and up their game with with uh, by improving their skills and bettering themselves. One of the things that we've seen, not only in our courses, but just in our interaction as well, is that there are a number of people that as they start to have the conversation or, or Mike in particular is introducing them to some of these concepts or, or getting into the technology. It's amazing how they, they know some things, but but they're missing parts of it. And, and that's so critical, especially in areas where you're dealing with, with you know, things that have greater safety uh, concerns or where you've got more complex issues that, that can cause, you know, what we're trying to do is ensure that, that there's not repeats here to, to repairs and, and that, that uh, the various shops feel comfortable that they can do a lot of this themselves. We also have a lot of new uh, technicians that are coming in. Mike, Mike spoke of the folks that, that uh, you know, are, are skilled and, 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 you know, may or may not, as they get longer in their career, may not want to engage as much, but there's a lot that do. But we also see a lot of new technicians and what they can bring to the table with their computer skills and, and their, you know, their knowledge of, you know, it's a different world. And, and, and you know, Mike speaks about this quite a bit because, you know, as you go through your career, he's seen it himself where different parts or different things will change in the industry. And you will see that there are individuals that just kind of really love doing that, whether, you know, maybe years ago it was electronic fuel injection at, at one point. But now it, it is around some of these computer systems. And so there is really an opportunity for that as well. So, I had I had one shop tell me that what they predicted was in ten years, maybe some techs in the shop aren't even going to be techs; they're going to be software engineers that just happen to be working in in this trade. 
And I've had other shop owners tell me that, and you see it already happening in some cases, is that there's not going to be a tech job anymore. Uh, it's going to splinter into so many different jobs because there's so much to know. Do you feel like the industry is likely to go that direction, Mike? I... I'm interested in your unique perspective because you you know you specialize in training sure. and like if this is what I, I don't I don't know if this is the future I don't have my crystal ball is on in the shop right now but it's interesting thinking of we're riding a wave of change things aren't the same as they were ten years ago they're not going to be the same ten years from now and we want to exactly. make sure the shops are not only set up for success today but success tomorrow so in that vein where do you th- I, this is probably too too much of a question. Where do you think we're headed? Do you think that has has legs, that idea? That is a heavy question. It, it, it could go one of two ways. Obviously, we could end up with splintering and specializing. Uh, it, it comes down to the economics of it. Is a shop going to be able to, to afford uh, a diagnostic technician uh, in order, in order to, to deal with those issues? I would like to see technicians step up and become proficient in the systems, because I'll be honest with you, they're not that complex once you understand the pieces and how they all interrelate. But uh, I I think uh, uh, now you may end up with electrical and mechanical techs and refinishers. I I could see that happening, but I I don't see a specific electrical technician. Now, I may be totally wrong, uh, but I, I don't see the economics of it at the moment. 50 years? Who knows? James? My background is actually in operations management. And one of the things we've seen, certainly with maintenance, is you're absolutely right. As technology changes, you you know, it's a plug and play of a module here and there. But what we see is because we live in a physical world, an accident is an accident. A need for maintenance is a need for maintenance. And those are physical activities. And so, you know, as you get corrosion of wiring, as you get, these are physical things. So I, I, I agree with you. I think we will see a lot of that. We will see a lot of those changes. But I think you're going to see a lot of the basic needs still exist for quite a number of years because the reality is we, like I said, we live in this physical world. If it was a perfect world, you know, we see those futuristic shows where it's a perfect world where, you know, all the cars are floating on air. Maybe it's different, but the minute you have environmental influences or friction or anything like that, it's amazing how you do need that physical and that, that, if you will, that, that regular technician need to to maintain and, and and fix the vehicles. So I do think that there's still quite an opportunity for, for that to exist. What could happen uh, down the road is, uh, and, and I just, I hate this word, farming it out. I'm a firm believer of keeping everything in-house for warranty and, and for, for profit, of course. But that could happen down the road as well. Instead of a, a, a collision shop having everything in their one place, they may farm farm certain jobs out, the electrical jobs, the calibration jobs, et cetera. Or what I've seen a lot of recently is combination collision shops, mechanical shops, mm. which would kind of put a Band-Aid on that and, of course, profit and headaches and everything else. But that's a thought as well. Well, these things ebb and flow, right? Like it used to be that uh, your glass, your upholstery, like a lot of it was subletted out, and and now we have ADAS is often subletted out, and uh, and then people tried to bring everything in house, and then we we might be having too many jobs again in the shop to to get it all under one house, and then maybe 10, 15 years from now it can come back. We're we're, we're getting way ahead of ourselves though. So talking about today and training today. 
and what's necessary today. It seems like there's a lot to learn. We know the landscape is going to change in the industry. So why aren't people getting trained? What's preventing training from happening? Uh, there, there's, there's three three things that I, I can think of right now. Time. Second one is money, though. And uh, specifically to technicians is confidence, but that also spills over to the, the owner or the management of the facility. The time it takes that you have to dedicate to training uh, affects a shop's productivity. If a, if a technician is, is not on the floor doing his job, obviously that, that affects profits. And that's the number one big thing. I, I, I always akin or, or use a reference of uh, our industry versus every other skilled trade or seems to be every other skilled trade in Ontario slash Canada. Most trades give their technicians a day off, do daytime training and pay automotive, be it repair or collision. Nope, training has to be done after hours or on your own time, et cetera. So that's the time component. Money comes into it in two ways. Because a technician's not on the floor, there's the perception that that money is lost. Now that hopefully will come back around uh, on the back end after the training has been done. Uh, And there's also uh, the cost of training. Uh, Good training is not cheap anymore just for a number of reasons, think expenses and insurance. But but yeah, the training costs money, a good training. Paying a technician wages, I just thought of another one, paying a technician's wages and expenses during training. Uh, if you're sending them to training, they should probably be paid. Now for years, uh, hey, training's free, you want to go to it, yep, here's the day off. Well, that's kind of changed. We can't, especially in today's climate, we can't afford or uh, technicians can't afford to, to, be, uh, you know, to lose a day's pay. And then it comes to the confidence part of it that I mentioned. Technicians are not every technician, but a lot of technicians are apprehensive about taking training. They don't have confidence in their skills. They don't have confidence to learn. Uh, There's always the issue, and I see this in class all the time. Nobody wants to say anything. Nobody wants to touch anything because they're worried about looking stupid. Uh, that's totally wrong. You're you're there to make mistakes. You're there to uh, touch and possibly disconnect something and break it or whatever. That's all taken care of on our end in the training class. Uh, But you need the hands-on or you need the experience. And knowing that you're not going to get in trouble, it's not going to cost you any money, that tends to to, to really uh, help with, with the technicians. But yeah, confidence is an issue with tax. There's confidence with issues with the management of the business. Am I going to see an ROI on this? Uh, is it going to pay off? Now, that depending on what you're doing, and if, if your technician absorbs the training and you give them the, the time and the, and the materials and the tools, uh, usually the return on investment is there. And uh, the last one, the big elephant is in the room, is, is my technician going to leave? Uh, I've trained him. I, I've, I've groomed a technician. I've made a an excellent employee, and they're going to leave. That that that's a management issue. We know what those issues are when technicians leave, but but still, that's a confidence issue. So so those are the three pieces that I see. Well, there's a bit of game theory going on here, right? A rising tide raises all ships. If everybody's yes. getting trained, then nobody feels like they're losing uh, an investment if somebody leaves. But um, I mean, that's kind of a pat response to a very real concern that shops have. But 
in, in some cases, I've, I've heard from people, this isn't really a training problem. Of course, techs need training. Like ADAS continues to advance. EVs continue to come into the shops. Uh, do they need training? Of course they do. But it's really a stretch too thin problem. How to make it happen on a busy schedule. If you can't afford to shut down the shop for a day in order to train, like because you've got the space necessary in order to do this, uh, everything needs to be in full swing. How? How do you manage that? How do you suggest shops can manage that? Ooh, we're we're going to open that can of worms, are we? Okay. <laughs> Pardon me. Uh, oh, well, uh, the only way to, to manage this thing, and it, it, it can be a behemoth depending on the size of the shop, is planning. You, you have to plan. You have to be purposeful. You have to be committed to it. Training during the slow season. Now, let's face it, a, a good repair shop. A good collision shop will not have a slow season, but training during a slow season, if, if that even exists, is one thing. Planning your workflow so that a technician can be finished with his operation on whatever vehicle they're working on, and that vehicle can be passed along to an, another technician for the next step. Could could be uh, something else to think about. Just sim- as simple as reducing the volume for a few days and rotating your staff through. So if you have 10 10 people on staff, or let's say 12 people, if you have 12 people on staff, four people, three groups of four technicians, that that could possibly work. You have to face it. You're you're going to, your production is is going to suffer. Let's face it. And every every collision shop that I know, the lineup to get in is long. So it's not like you're going to miss a job and then the technicians come back and you'll be standing around. Most collision shops that I know have week their weeks out or and th- this is what i've seen uh some very specific very professional uh shops do and and, and these are uh owners that have taken management training or uh, you know th- there's there's really good management training out there and they realize i might have to close the shop for a day so so for example there's there's a two-day class that needs to be done. The shop doesn't want to lose two days of production. So they close the shop on Friday, pay their technicians up for the Saturday to come in. And so you only lose one day's production, but you get a two-day class. That's that's the tra- shutting a shop down for for training for a training day is, is a, a a real thing that and technicians appreciate it because it, it eliminates stress on your staff there, there's no phone calls there's no well what about this people coming in asking for advice or process whatever that the stress is gone in, in in that scenario and the other is specific training for specific staff on that training day so if you're closing the shop and you're losing technician production schedule service advisor training or estimator training so that Everybody's there. The whole shop is being trained in their in their own specialty. Uh, that that's an expensive touch, but that looks after everybody. And there's there's no no downside to that as far as I I can think of. Uh, so I've seen multiple trainings, well. multiple trainings at once, all all at the same time. Yeah. So what I'm talking about is the technicians are, are in the shop for their training, or they're wherever they are for their training, but usually in the shop. Management staff. You know, estimators might be training, possibly on EV components and operation to kind of help them out. Service writers could be training in PR skills, et cetera, et cetera. All of those different things uh, happening the same day. Now, I'm uh, 
just taking myself as an example, I'm pretty slow to learn things. It takes me 10 times my wife telling me anything before I know what she's talking about. There's a lot of pressure to get that training done in a very quick amount of time and pressure from on high that, oh, it better be worth it and there better be a return and you better stick with us and you better that. So that you talk about the day off being uh, without pressure, without pressure for the techs, but I'm sure everyone above the techs is sweating uh, bullets, hoping this, this goes okay. Like we, we talk about time, uh, everybody's time is spoken for and cycle time is so tight and we've had more burdens on time ramping up year over year. And where my mind always goes is OEM procedures, Yes, right? Five years ago, 10 years ago, there was a certain amount of creativity you could apply for the repair, but now it's outrageously rigid. You have to do exactly what it says. You have to return to the OEM procedure every darn time you want to do it because they might've changed a semicolon or something. uh, And you need to be on that. So with text today, probably reading more OEM procedures than anything else in their lives. Um, Are they important? Yes, they're, they're, they're mandatory, but we're throwing a lot of books at some people who are tactile learners, which is making the process perhaps an unnecessary struggle. So how do you, from a training perspective, how do you address that? How do you address the time crunch that it's got to be? The fact that people are learning in different ways, the fact that, you know, you need to find a way to teach people that's going to make sense to them. Uh, and that there's so much pressure on, on retaining that knowledge. The, the, that comes down to the, to the instructor slash training company. The instructor has to be able to notice that and adjust their training accordingly. And by adjust their training, I mean adjust the way they they present it. I I, I see it all the time. I I see the deer in the headlights look, and I see the the people that, give me more, give me more, I want more. A, a, A good instructor will be able to deal with both of those types of learners in the class but the the sitting in a class stare like you said staring at a, a presentation and looking at slides is is only one component of it and we we can't eliminate that as as instructors and and teachers we can't eliminate that completely because there there's always a theory component to any technology and I, i'm specifically talking about technology, there's always a a, a theory component that has to be understood. Now, we don't have to go back to the engineering of the thing and, and, you know, uh, computer algorithms or any of that, but there's certain components to to any tech that that there is a theory component. But what will turn the lights on or bing, you know, uh, set the bubble off above somebody's head is when you take that tech, the the, uh, the the tech training on paper, and you present it in a way that, yep, okay, I understand it, but it could be gone in five minutes. When, once you 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 get to the point where the, the technician understands it, what, what you then do, and what we do, is once we're done that, everybody gets up out of their seat, and you have to get technicians up out of their seat. We're used to being moving all day. Then we go into a shop environment or a simulator environment. Uh, but we actually apply the, what we just learned on paper or on slides or, or whatever it is, and we do it, or we look at it, or we take measurements or, or what have you, and, and we actually mesh the, the, the acad- oh, here we go. academic learning and the skills learning. That all pulls together by doing. Like you said, these are tactile people. 
I'm one of them. Uh, I, I learned by doing muscle memory is a thing, but also my brain looking at my hands do something. I'll remember that way longer than I would remember, say, a slide. Learning the why and how to reinforce the skill is, is, is a big thing. Understanding what known good means. So sure, what we see in the shop, when, when something goes wrong or we're, we're dealing with an issue, a diagnostic issue, uh, and just I know collision, that can be a nightmare. Uh, and I totally understand that. But our foundation is learning what it should look like, how it should operate. If, I, if I'm to the point where I can use a scope to look at a communication network, learning no good operation of, of how the thing works or how the vehicle works or whatever system's on it, and then throwing, we'll throw some failures and you know, scenarios, et cetera, et cetera, but understanding the known good, how it, should, how it should be performing or what your measurements should look like is a big step. Uh, another thing, and just as a last point here, is class size. You know, uh, do you have a class of 50 and you're just talking PowerPoint, which, you know, if a technician learns one thing in a large class or a PowerPoint presentation, and I'm the same way, if I go to a class and I learn one thing to take away, I'm happy. That, that was completely worth it. But if we're going to be doing hands-on, and we've all been in there where there's a demonstration or that the instructor says, oh, come on over, and everybody stands back with their hands in their pockets, keeping class small, classes small, and and keeping it easy going, keeping it in a learning environment, there's no pressure, uh, that will usually get technicians over that shyness and they'll actually start to participate and, and do things and, and learn tactily, like as we uh, as we just discussed. So there's a lot of components to that, but that, that's my feelings on that. James, j- just just to add, one of, one of the things that that we see when you do get uh, people that get involved directly, you take what you're seeing, like like you said in in the the OEM documents, but now you're applying it. it the, what what technicians are very good at is they're very good at looking at uh, diagrams. They're very good at looking at these documents and then applying it to a vehicle. But remember, you're seeing vehicle <laughs> you're seeing vehicles in in multiple states, especially in in a collision scenario. Where, where things are not where they ought to be. And, and when you're dealing with, with things like EVs, because of the safety aspect to it, it's so critical to actually get in there and have them work on batteries that are faulty, have them work on you know, areas of, of, a, of a vehicle that, that are faulty, have them understand you know, how a vehicle can catch on fire. Um, you know, these are some of the things that we're seeing nowadays that being hands-on really provides that, that opportunity. And, the other thing, you know, in talking before about, you know, how does a shop best utilize their time? When you have effective training, you allow your technicians to be better at what they do. And when they're better at what they do, they allow the shop to run more effectively and efficiently. So it actually creates more time. And so it is, it is a little bit backwards, but this is not an unusual thing. All industries go through this when it comes to maintenance or training. And the reason we properly maintain and properly train is because it allows that industry or that particular shop to do what they do very effectively in a safe manner. They don't have returns. Um, they're able to actually um, provide added services, which can which can increase billable hours. So these are all critical things for, for a shop owner or management. And what we do, and, and, and there's other organizations like, like ours, <clears throat> excuse me, but what we do 
is provide that feedback and give them different scenarios and opportunities um, in providing that effective training. So some things are, like Mike said, there some things are PowerPoint related. Some things are hands-on. Some things are, hey, this is a new, um, this is a new software package. Uh, you've got all the information you need. Go, go play with it for a while. Um, and so there are many, many different ways of being able to do that. And, and I think that's what we're trying to promote because it, it's so important. And, and, and for us, it's a passion, um, as you can see. So um, I, I think there's really an opportunity to enhance um, the business side of this. And, and really, that's our, that's, our, um, that's our strategic advantage, I think. So, you know, training is necessary. I don't think anybody's arguing the training is not necessary. Training is necessary. You're saying training has to be interesting. You're saying training has to be well-organized. You're saying that training has to be hands-on or, or should be hands-on in, in most uh, components. But like there's a, there's a pretty complex process. I think you're maybe a little bit too... Uh, uh, inside baseball on training at trying to negotiate a classroom of 50 techs who learn differently from each other sounds like a nightmare to me. Uh, but so training needs to be done. I'm going to add this caveat by experts who know how to train, uh, who, who know how, what about learning processes. And, uh, and then a really interesting point from David that, um, the time that you spend training, is saved time later. I didn't think about that, but it's true. It means you're not fiddling about in the dark on something later if you've gotten the training for it in the first place. I, I guess from a an ignorant perspective, how do you make this stuff stick? How often uh, does a tech need training? Like, is that subject to how many changes are going on in the industry, or is is there a recommended schedule, or what should a shop owner? be thinking about trying to factor into their schedule events in terms of training? Well, okay. Uh, when it comes to what, what training need, needs to be done or, or how, uh, how often techs should have training in the automotive repair section sector where, where, you know, we have to wait for warranty to expire and that kind of thing. So there's a natural lag to that. And I usually find out that personally, I, f I find out when that natural lag is finished uh, as my late Friday afternoon phone, call, phone calls for technical help start to ramp up. But for collision, you know, a, a car that was purchased last week could end up in, in your shop. So for collision, especially as a system is, is released or starting to be, become popular on, on vehicles, that's when training needs to happen. In fact, to the point where we need to be a little bit proactive and ahead of that curve. Now, we don't have to get deep, deep into it. It would be nice to have basic diagnostics, but we could lay the foundation early for that particular system, whatever it is. We went through this with ADOS, still are. Lay the foundation early, and then as it becomes popular, then you start to dig into the real diagnostics and mechanics of it. We, we could do that. Uh, how do you make training stick? That's up to the company that, that does the training. It has to be presented in the right way. I've, I've mentioned how we do it, uh, and it seems to stick. An, an instructor... You, we've all heard the expression, those that can do and those that can't teach. The, you don't really the, want to apply that to yourself, do you? No, I, I, I've been a working technician since 84. Uh, oh, okay. So you're, you're putting yourself in the do and teach. Yeah, it, it's for me, it's kind of different because I, I started in, in uh, it, my apprenticeship. I started actually working in a car wash in 79. 
But in 84, I started my apprenticeship. So I saw the end of carburetors. We went through the learning curve for fuel injection and such. But uh, I've always, I started training in 91. Uh, so my I go way back. I, I've seen thousands of, of training classes. But uh, a, a good instructor, number one, thinks like the technician. Uh, courses have to be designed to accommodate or address the way technicians think and, and a lot of a lot of times we've all done it and especially if you've you've we've all done trade school or what, what have you but uh textbooks are good for information they're not great for repair procedures so courses need to be designed or, or for learning advanced learning uh courses need to be designed to, to kind of uh address or or complement the way technicians learn and that that that's how we do it and that's how i've done it for ages drawing on personal experience and also i talk to hundreds of technicians a year and i'm always like hey what you got what's new what what, what are you running into so that we can kind of take that and i can use it to build classes and and uh and, and share with students so the uh being on the bench appreciating the pain and i'm 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 limited to to light duty stuff now because of the pain but uh yeah i've tech uh, instructors who 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 have been there and think like technicians and can present like a technician. I think that, and I've sat in classes like that and those classes stick with me. They're phenomenal. James, I find that we also get feedback when when you're running a course, um, especially if it's a, it's an independent training organization and, and, you know, obviously like ourselves, but I find when, when you have that personal, I'll call it a partnership, especially if it's, if it's a fleet organization or whatnot, you get an opportunity to understand what their issues are. And so, you know, there may be a training course somebody comes to, but what you find is you will get information from that training course. And Mike then tends to develop that or will have that additional discussion. And so you may have, you know, there may be a course, we've certainly been involved in doing this, where something may be applied. We, Mike did some, some work with some first responders, as an example, that came out of a discussion. Um, those are perfect examples where you extend that training specific to the need that exists within, um, you know, the the industry. And, and, and that's, I think, pretty critical. I think it's really important that we have uh, colleges and, and other entities in place to provide, you know, foundational, but they tend to be, you know, anywhere from five to 10 years behind sometimes. And so you want to be able to bring something that, that's immediate. So, for example, you know, ADAS is, is an area that, that you have a lot of discussions about, you know, being out by just a couple of degrees is critical. So understanding that, understanding how you can do that. Well, it's one thing to see it on a on a slideshow. It's another thing to do it. And when you actually do it, you can do it right. You can do it wrong and you can be corrected and you understand what that looks like and you get you get a feel for it. Um, and then you have the opportunity with with a with a good organization or 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 as you build out your network to ask those questions right you want to ask those questions you want to be able to uh not only within your shop but also um with with mentors or 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 partners that you have be able to ask those questions hey have you seen this have you identified this um you know i i like to drive german cars and and mike always laughs at me uh because they tend to have a lot of technology that doesn't work any better than the domestics um, but it's a perfect example where you have those conversations. And, and I think that's where we find we're able to provide um, probably the most insight 
and we gain uh, clarity as to what is uh, critical today. Mike, is training just for techs? No, no, not at all. I, I've worked with some companies where we, we've done this. It is, of course, technicians foundation. That's where all the technology kind of, it's in the bay. But however, there, there's more people than just technicians in a shop. Number one, the owner of the business needs some training. Let's use EVs, for example. Uh, they don't need to know specifically diagnostics and how they work, but the owner of the business should know the components. They should know common failures, et cetera, et cetera, so they can start researching things and, and, and just speak like they know something. Service writers, okay, or service advisors. The service advisors need to be able to, to converse with the customer uh, and the insurance company uh, in a way that they know what they're talking about. So if they're asked a question, they understand what the question is. They understand what the component is. And let's just get down to components. Uh, they understand what the component is. They have a, a really good idea of what it does. They don't need to know the science of it, but they, they understand what it does. And they can discuss things uh, on a, a semi-technical level instead of layman's terms. Uh, so so there, there's there's that for, for service advisors and estimators. Estimators might need to go a little bit deeper. But, but all of those people, possibly even if your if your shop has a, a a parts person, somebody who orders and orders parts and sends back and all that kind of stuff, if you have a dedicated parts person in your shop, that person, same thing, is going to need training of how of the systems. And again, EV is the perfect example of that. Uh, they, they need to understand what the pieces are generally, how they work possible differences. I'll give you an example, single or dual motors. There's there's a perfect thing. Instead of bothering the tech, they could come out and look under the car. Oh, okay. I got it. But but yeah, there, there's an example or examples of of what what needs to be done or who should be trained. Now, a, a good training company, and it's okay, that's us. Hello. Uh, a, a good training company will be able to take the, the technician's course and wash it down to each one of those individual needs for the shop. And that's that's how I do it. I'll use the slides from the technician class, chosen slides. Uh, but they're going they're going to learn the same systems, not so much of the technology, but just how they work uh, as the technicians do. And that, that's what we do. We we can take that uh, technician class and and wash it down to other areas of your shop. As a last question, training has been a hot topic for a decade, right? And the need for training has only gotten more and more severe and immediate in the collision repair industry. You guys are on the inside of training. Is this a bubble? Like, is this a hump that we have to get over in terms of we've got to collect these kind of basic skills and then they'll keep paying dividends? Or are we just moving at this pace now and we're going to have to get used to it? What do you think, David? I think I, I think it's not a bubble. Um, it, as much as there, there are two things that I, I would say that, that play out to that, James. Um, one is we have a lot of discussion happening now about autonomous vehicles. And so I do think that there is still that debate as to whether they are safe or better. We also see in Canada the want to introduce a lot of EVs, and yet we don't have the infrastructure in place yet to do that. Certainly hybrids are, are a great option, but but we don't have some of the infrastructure in place in some areas. Until those occur, I think that we are going to see this as not a bubble, but, but as a, um, uh, uh, a period of time where sometimes over a year or two, it advances quickly. 
and then it slows down, then it advances quickly. But I do think that it's an ongoing, um, an ongoing um, process. And I think that we're going to continue to see it. The other thing that you'll see as well is every shop will address things differently. Um, some shops will see certain things that others may not. Uh, and so that also will, will play out. Um, so I do think it's something that will run over a period of time. Uh, and we've seen that over, over the years where there are some advancements that come out. Uh, ADAS was a perfect example where that was quite a shock to the system when that happened in the, in the, you know, the, the late 2000s and really advanced in, in the early, you know, 2010 to 2015 kind of range. But now um, you're starting to see that most vehicles have that, yes, but now do they have autonomous requirements that, that mean that even if I'm out by a little bit, that's going to be a critical component and you're going to start to see uh, issues with it. So I, I do see it as a continuous process. That's all the time that we have today for Industry Insider. Do you guys have anything you want to say to shops and shop owners uh, and the rest of the collision repair industry on our way out? I'll let David start. <laughs> Passing <laughs> that buck right over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, we've had the opportunity to, to introduce, you know, training and, and the importance of it. I think I, I can't stress enough that the need to really partner um, there are organizations out there. Um, we would love to to help as we as we can, but there are organizations that will partner with you to help not only with your training, but to to show you what that can look like over a period of time. It's not just about going to a course. It's about how can you plan that out over a longer period, especially for fleet operators, where you may have a requirement for a particular type of vehicle, uh, or for collision repair shops that that see a lot of a certain uh, technology. Uh, some see ADOS a lot more than others, as an example. Some will see electric vehicles more than others. Um, being able to work with a partner, I think, is critical. And I think it's it's something that reduces risk, but we can help show you how it can actually increase the profitability of your shop um, and allow you to operate actually with even less technicians in 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 the in the short term because of the ability to work more effectively and efficiently. Okay, and, and I'll just add to that from a, from a technician's perspective and an instructor's perspective. Definitely in, invest. You can't go wrong investing in your people. Uh, find a training company that will work with you, uh, that will build courses for you or with you possibly. Uh, but also, if you stick with with one training company, uh, there's a familiarity that develops, and and technicians can call for assistance or. Uh, the next class, the, 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 your techs are, are more engaged in learning because they're left self-conscious. So uh, familiarity is, is a big thing in training as well. So I just wanted to point that out. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for being with me today. It seems to me like training or not training is not the choice. Training can be a necessary evil or it can be an exciting new opportunity to keep techs engaged and their brains buzzing with excitement about the industry. The key seems to be about how you do it, how to integrate it into your shop processes, how hands-on that training can be, and the difference between book learning and hands-on can be a wide gulf. Thank you for uh, my special guest today, Mike Bailey, owner, lead instructor of curriculum development at the Autoprof and CTO Environmental Motorworks, and to David Mayers, CEO of Environmental Motorworks, who gave us a little peek into learning by doing. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or YouTube. And tune in next time for another episode of Industry Insider Radio. 
I'm James Kerr. Thank you for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by Environmental Motorworks and Autoprof, leading providers of automotive, heavy truck, and coach vehicle training, including hands-on EV and ADAS training. For more information, please visit their websites at www.envmw.com or the autoprof at theautoprof.com.